All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Everybody, welcome to Dropping the Gloves with John and Tim. Thanks for joining us. It's time, Tim. It's here. The Stanley Cup Finals. And this is the one we've been waiting for, like we talked about last episode. It's the two best teams in the NHL. This isn't a Cinderella story. There's no someone snuck in. There was no upsets. This is it. This is Ollie Foreman. This is Tyson Holyfield. This is the two top dogs going at it. And they did not disappoint. Game one was fun. It was a good game. It was back and forth. Colorado obviously got the win four to three in overtime, which I loved. I love me some overtime Stanley Cup finals action. After it was all said and done, after the dust was settled, in my eyes, I feel like Colorado got the better of Tampa Bay throughout the throughout the game, but Tampa Bay doing what Tampa Bay does. They they find a way to come back. They find a way to just stay in the game. They're never really out of it. And it was a heck of a game. It was a really, really good game. Just 30-second recap, Tim. What did you think about game one? Oh, it was great. You kind of saw, like, the best of, of both teams in this game because, you know, you got the Colorado Avalanche, the high-flying offense, the um, the defenseman jumping up in the rush, creating offensive opportunities. You had that power play, which is absolutely lethal. Then you got Tampa, just as good in some ways, and they keep battling back. They've done it all season long. You know, They're never out of it. You're down three to one. Battle right back. You're down two nothing. Battle right back. And so, yeah, you kind of saw what both teams can do, and ultimately it came down to just a, a little turnover in overtime and and a good execution on on Colorado's part. But it could have gone either way. So it was a great game one. Yeah, I think every team showcased their strengths. The whole game, it, it was exactly what was built. Colorado's defense, like you said, I thought after the first period, it could potentially get ugly for Tampa Bay. I thought Colorado was skating. They were using their speed. The defense were jumping up in the rush. I thought it was going to end up being like a six to two, seven to three type of game because Colorado looked that good. They looked that strong. They looked that confident. And Tampa Bay, for whatever reason, three to four series, you're throwing out the Florida series because that was just a weird series where they just own them the whole series. They look out of sorts in game one. I don't know if it's a feeling out process. I've said it in shows past where I don't put too much stock into game one because you use it as a feeling out process. Going back to the boxing analogy, 
you never see many knockouts in the first round these days, unless you're Mike Tyson, where you just go and you try to murder somebody every every punch. Mm-hmm. You, you want to feel out your opponent. You want to see what they're all about. You don't know how you're going to react to them. They don't know how they're going to react to you. So game one is just basically getting your feet wet. It's like, okay, how fast is McKinnon? How good is Makar? How good is this team? Like, what what can we do? Where can we push them? Where do we have to be worried about? What? How do we play these guys? And it goes vice versa. Same with Colorado. It's like, how good is Vasilevsky, Hedman, Sergachev, McDonough? How good are these guys holding up? And I think you saw that in game one. I think it was a little tentative from Tampa Bay, just like the Toronto series, just like the Rangers series. For whatever reason, they don't jump out to fast starts. They they slowly get their feet going. They slowly jump into things, which is strange for a team that has that much experience and just you would think they would start faster. The nerves shouldn't be there for these guys. They've won the last two Stanley Cups. It should be opposite, I would have thought. I thought Tampa would have came out and controlled the first, second period while Colorado was just kind of quieting the nerves and the butterflies in their stomach, but it wasn't the case. A couple minutes into the game, Colorado's dominating the shots. They're dominating the time of possession. They're all over Tampa Bay, and they finally break that initial bubble with the first goal and break down that first goal for us, Tim, because not a good sign for Tampa Bay. When that when that goal went in, because it was not not exactly a strong goal for Vasilevsky. Yeah, it was a good play by uh, the young defenseman Bowen Byron. You know, driving up uh, from his own zone, and he throws it back to uh, the winger waiting on the half boards. And Byron keeps skating to the net, which draws the defenseman in. And the winger, I think it was Ranton, and shoots it on net. Yeah. And Vasilevsky, it kind of sneaks just like above his pad, under his elbow, and he's in the butterfly and just tweaks through a little bit, and Landis Cog, it's like every single guy on the, on the, on the ice and on the avalanche was just playing like you could hear the coach in their head, like, okay, make the rush, get a nut, keep driving, follow up, and, and then Landis Cog, you know, the puck squeaks through, and Landis Cog buries it. And my first reaction seeing that is, man, Vasilevsky should have had that. That's not a goal. And even, even though he's, I don't, he's played well so far in this postseason, but not the lights out that we've seen in the last couple of years, and that's not a goal he would have let up last year, you know? And so that's the part that, that makes me just a little bit nervous watching that. But it was surprising just coming off of the final three games versus the Rangers where he was absolutely lights out. Like I thought he had shaken off all the rust, everything that people were talking about from the first two rounds versus Toronto, even versus Florida. He would, he didn't look strong. I think Bobrovsky played him in that series. The last three games versus the Rangers were like, okay, he's back. This, this is the Vasilevsky. We know like he, he is locked in. And then he yeah, gives up this goal, it's like, eh, what are we doing here? But his play aside, what a play by Bowen Byram. I said it coming into this series, the key for Colorado and Tampa Bay, if Tampa can slow down Colorado's defense, Tampa will win this series. And here we are five minutes into the game. Their young 20-year-old defenseman gets the puck in his own zone, skating with confidence, head up through the neutral zone, drives deep, brings both defensemen with them, kicks it out to Rantanen, who's got all kinds of time, cuts to the middle. It was a... Not a great shot, but it squeaks through. And then Landeskog picks up the trash. That play is made by Byram. It, it's a beautiful play by him. It's a, it's a play they probably work in practice and drill into their heads time after time after time. They executed it perfectly. When you're a defenseman, you don't know who to take because he's driving right between you. Theoretically, it should have been the far side guy and the, the defenseman close to the board still keeps his gap up on Rantanen, but he doesn't because he doesn't know. And he backs off a little bit more and Byron takes both of them back and he's got all kinds of time. And there we are. It's a one nothing game. The defensemen are making an impact. They're skating through the neutral zone. They, he beat his forward up the ice, which is what I talked about. Can these Tampa Bay forwards who are disciplined, who know how to check, 
can they handle the Colorado defensive speed? And there's only three guys who really do it. It's Taves, it's McCarr, and it's Byram. Because Johnson, Johnson, they don't do it. Manson, no, not really. It's those three guys. Can they handle those three guys? And early grades, early results are no. Like it's five minutes into the game and you're already getting beat up the ice. And this guy's driving right down your guts and he's kicking it out and you're not coming back. You're not backtracking that hard. And Ranton has got all kinds of time. So it's one nothing Tampa or one nothing Colorado. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Let's go Tampa Bay. Let's go Tampa Bay. The next thing you know, a few minutes later, another ugly turnover. Bogosian almost gives it over. He gives it over to heaven behind the net. He up the boards to Nick Paul. This is, this is another, and I, and I, I don't like getting on players because I, they know what they know what they're doing, right? They know they made a mistake, but I think it's important to point it out. Victor Hedman is a world-class defenseman. He is one of arguably, if not the best defenseman in the world, he cannot give Nick Paul this pass in this position. Nick Paul has got his behind pasted on the wall. He's got his stick there for a pass. Nick Paul can't see who's coming down on him. He's watching Victor Hedmond. He's going up the ice. He can't see who's coming down on him very, very often, unless he's checking every couple seconds, which is hard to do because you want to see where Hedman is to be ready for a pass. Hedman has to know that he's getting pinched down on. In my opinion, this is not Nick Paul's fault. This is a Victor Hedman issue. He has to see that he's getting pinched down on and he has to fire it behind him or give him a pass hard enough where he just opens up his blade and he can tip it into the neutral zone. Hedman gives him a mediocre speed pass. Kaoma Carr's there. He's being aggressive. He pinches in. The puck gets chipped out of the way. Bingo, bango. Nishusin's got the puck right in the slot, fires it in. A tipped goal. I don't blame Vasilevsky on this. Maybe he should have had it even after the tip because the tip happened high enough. I'm not, I've never played goalie. I don't know how hard it is to react off a tip, but it didn't look like it was that difficult to save even after the tip. But he was expecting it to go high. The puck deflects off the defenseman trying to go for the block, and it dribbles down low, and it's a 2 nothing game. This is all Hedman's fault. Do you agree, or is this is this Nick Paul not being aware of who's pinching down on him, Tim? Well, I didn't see that it was tipped, so I was ready to rip uh, Vasilevsky again. And, and you know, Nishirskin, he's a pretty good goal scorer. He's alone in the slot. Like, that's that's a dangerous shooting chance. And, you know, but no one's no one's between him and Vasilevsky. He's a little bit high in the slot. So Vasilevsky should have had that time, but I didn't see the tip. So I'll, I guess I'll have to let him off that one. I, one of the things I was thinking about, though, was like, the Colorado Avalanche, what, what makes them so good is that they have all the skill in the world. They can really, like, you know, stretches during the regular season and even parts of the postseason, just basically go out and do whatever they want. They can just impose their will. They have that much talent and speed, but they're also so good with the fundamentals. And you see that with these first two goals, having a defenseman join the rush, keep driving to the net, follow through, shooting on net. And then you have here, you get the defenseman pinching at the point. The other guy comes back and just fires it back. Nachuskin's alone in the slot. He buries through the redirect. Like a lot of teams that have that high-end talent, don't have the discipline to to do the fundamental, the little things really well. I'm thinking about the Oilers, maybe a little bit the Leafs too, where the talent was enough to win them a lot of games. And they run into a team that punches them in the face. They don't really have a response. And what we've seen with the Avalanche is that they, they can play both styles, which is really, really good. Yeah, this might be a case of Tampa Bay just maybe being a little too confident in the second goal. I'm watching it right now. They had a chance seconds before to get the puck out of the zone. Hedman tries to go across the ice. I don't know. Maybe they need to tighten their game up a little bit. Colorado is, is they're a different animal. They're, they're different than Toronto, even where they, 
I feel like Colorado is just so incredibly good. They're so balanced. And if they can continue this success, continue getting contributions from Burakovsky, Nachuskin, Comfort, Helm, Newhook, all these guys, they seem to be all over the ice at once. Every single line, it's wave after wave after wave. It's not just the first line and the second line. They are so incredibly strong up and down the lineup. And we said that at the deadline, like, gosh, their only weakness could be their depth. And they are proving everybody wrong right now. They are such a deep team. And when you get guys like that continuing to just pressure you, pressure you, pressure you, it's tough. It's really tough. And they that was a, a key. The second goal, I think, exemplifies that. Where Hedman, they're trying to figure something out. They're trying to regroup. They're like, okay, they're not going to continue to press. press. We're going to just regroup this and that. Boom, McKinnon's on him. Boom, Nachushkin's on him. Boom, McCarr's pinching because he knows he's got someone covering up behind him. They're so aggressive. They're so fast. They're so confident. And after that second goal, I'm like, okay, Byram's in the zone. McCarr created that goal, even though he didn't get an assist. It's 2 nothing. Tampa Bay's on their heels. This could get ugly. This could get really ugly. And lo and behold, Tampa Bay does what Tampa Bay does. They get a fluky, fluky goal. Turnover in the neutral zone, kind of a chip in. Eric Johnson, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. He's flat-footed. Nick Paul is not exactly Dylan Larkin or Matthew Barzal or any of these burners. Nick Paul is Nick Paul. He burn like burns around Eric Johnson. Like it, it was, it was not like he. It was nobody was going fast, but Nick Paul goes around him. I don't know what Darcy Kemford's doing there. He's got to go out and get that puck. There's plenty of time for him to go out, play it into the corner, cover it, shoot it up out of the zone. He's indecisive. Maybe that's because he's just coming back from a layoff and doesn't want to make a big mistake outside of his crease. He wants to stay comfortable. I don't know. The reason is Nick Paul comes in and somehow the puck goes in. It's just such a fluky play where he doesn't even shoot it. It just kind of just gets pushed into the net. Kemper is just out of position. I don't know what's happening. Nick Paul gets the goal. Tampa Bay's on the board two to one. We're back in this game. Tampa Bay's rolling or we thought they were, they weren't. It was just a one-off Colorado continues the onslaught. They are just it was it was a dominating first period by the Colorado Avalanche. Wouldn't you say, Tim? It was just it was a clinical one shift after the next after the next. We're better than you and we're gonna show it. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to their their third goal yet, which is that five on three power play. We're talking about it before the show. It's like, how do you possibly stop something like that? They're hard enough to stop five on five, let alone on a regular power play. You give them five on three, obviously they're gonna score. And it was a great play. Do you want to talk about that one? We were, yeah, we were talking about it before we came on air because I was just in awe of the five on three. Usually a five on three, you you try to set up for that one shot. Typically, you try to two on one somebody, either get it in the slot or get it to a guy like Stamkos or Kucherov or Tampa Bay does it really well. They look for that one shot on the sidewall. Typically, it's been Kucherov of late. Colorado's completely different. They're a completely different five on three. Even though they have those shooters, they have the Ranton and they have Landeskog, they got McKinnon, they got McCarr up top. They overwhelm you with their puck movement and they just fire pucks on net to break down your, your PK. And when I was in San Jose, we had Jay Woodcroft. He was a power play coach. And he said that he's like, as soon as we get the puck, I want a shot on net within three seconds. And he would time you, he'd go one, two, three in practice. And if you don't get that puck on net, you're going to be gone. He, he would take you off the power play. So that's why Brent Burns, the puck would get one back to him. He would fire the puck every single time on net. And it breaks down the PK because you shoot it and you don't know where the rebound's going. So you're completely flustered. You don't know how to get in your sets. 
The puck goes to the boards, the puck gets popped out in the neutral zone, the puck's everywhere. You can't get into your comfortable penalty killing set where it's like, okay, forwards up top, defense down the middle. You go, we go side to side. And that's what the Avalanche did in this five on three. There was there was no set plays. It was uh, McKinnon and McCarr at the top moving around. Rantanen was moving around. It was just constant movement. They were shooting the puck. The goaltender didn't know what was going on. The defensemen, if you watch it, they just stood still. They're like, we don't know where to go. We can't go out and pressure somebody. We can't go out and even try to make a play. McDonough just stood there. He's like, I don't know what to do. You guys are moving around too fast. And lo and behold, it gets worked around. Beautiful pass by, by Rantanen to Lycanen. He chips, chips it in. And it's because there's so much movement. You don't know where they're going to go. Usually when you're killing a penalty, you know they have tendencies. It's like, okay, they're trying to get this one play. We can stop them from getting that one play. We know they like this one play. Colorado doesn't have that. They don't have that one play that they like to do. It's like, okay, you know, Toronto, what they do is they go Marner behind the net. I don't know who else he goes with, but there's two guys behind the net and they try to get Matthews coming down the pipe for a one-timer. That's what they do. They try to, and it's like, okay, we got to watch that. Tampa Bay, they try to go cross crease. They try to get Kucherov for the cross ice pass. That's what they try to do. Colorado, it's a free-for-all. It's like, are they going to go to Makar up top? Are they going to go to the Ranton on the right side? Are they going to go to McKinnon on the left side? Are they going to go Landeskog in the front? It's just nobody knows where they're going. It's so hard to kill that. And you watch McDonough, he's just like spinning top. He's just spinning around and around and around. Next thing you know, his guy, Ranton, has got it. He's got all kinds of time, and he just feathers a nice pass to Lakin. It was a beautiful power play. I was never a power play guy. I was always the killing guy in practice. So I was always the scout team. And I watched this and I, I, I've been a part of many like scout team power plays. That was a, that was a masterclass power play. It was, it was a pretty thing to watch in the Stanley cup finals versus the team. That's really good on the penalty kill versus a goaltender who is big, a big body who can block passes, cross crease, Boy, was it, I don't know, stuff like that. I really, really appreciate because it's it's hard to do. You see teams around the league who have world-class players and they can't do that. And Colorado just did it on the biggest stage, game one when they should be nervous and they made it look easy. It was, ugh, I, I could talk about that power play for 20 more minutes. It was so incredibly good how easy they made it look. And the key is movement. There's no set positions. It's like McCarr could end up in front of the net. Who cares? They all know what to do. They all know where they're going and they tighten that box up so much. If you watch the real estate that they're working in, it's not like McCarr is out at the point. Rantanen's out at the boards. They shrink the ice. So when you're a defender or a goalie and you're trying to go crease to crease, the puck's already gone back and forth by the time you have a chance to react. It's such a tight little space and they're skilled enough to make passes through that box and through the seam and behind the net and this and that and shoot the puck and break break the uh, the pressure. Oh, it really is. Go if, if you're listening to this, which the millions of people are, go watch that PPPK because it was just really fun. And that, man, after that first period, if you're the Colorado Avalanche, you're going into the locker room, you must have just had like a huge exhale, a sigh of relief. It's like, okay. We could, we could beat this team because you don't know you're coming into this. Tampa Bay's got that air of just invincibility. They're the Tampa Bay lightning. They figure it out. They, they, they find a way to win. You just exhale. You're finally here. You're facing Goliath and you can beat him. You can compete with him better yet. You're better than he is. And they went out there. They played him. They didn't even match lines, Colorado. They just rolled them. And Tampa Bay was trying to match. They started their checking line. They were trying to do their best to get those guys out versus their top line McKinnon. Didn't even matter. 
Their top guys produced. Their defensemen were aggressive. Kempfer looked okay. Didn't look great. Didn't have many chances against, but for what it's worth, he didn't lose in the period. And you're up three to one and your crowd's rocking and you're going out there and you're going to continue to lay the boots to him. That's what was, that's what should have happened. Right, Tim. Yeah. Uh, and actually Bednar, the coach Bednar talked about that um, before game one, where he was asked about the, the matchup because everyone talking about how good Sorelli's line has been. And they know that they're going to match up against McKinnon's line. He's like, I'm not really worried about that yet. Like if, if I have to make an adjustment because something's not working, I will, but like, I'm not going to change our game just because of who they have playing against us. And obviously it worked. We'll talk about that in a little bit. First period ends, like you said, most teams are kind of out of the game at this point. And so like, you know, you're, you're playing on the road, you're down three to one, it's all this stuff going on, but not Tampa Bay. Um, I want to talk about their next goal. I, you know, I gasped when I saw this. I was <laughs> the way Kucherov, the two on two, two on two, wasn't even an odd man rush. Kucherov and Palat, kind of a, a just chemistry driven goal. Uh, Palat passes over to Kucherov and then crosses over. And then you got the defenseman kind of crisscrossing a little bit. It's a great play. And they're, this is this is Taze and Makar, by the way. It's not like it's they got a matchup against the Johnson brothers or whatever. And uh, Kucherov, that little, that little kind of under his leg deke that he did. I don't know how many guys in the league can make a play like that going full speed against two NHL defensemen, but he did it. All of a sudden, he's got it on his backhand and back over to uh, Palat for the backside goal. Just beautiful, beautiful goal. There's not a lot of guys that could execute like that. It's the very subtle pump pump fake shot that Kucherov does, and it freezes Taves. If you watch a Palat and Kucherov cross, Palat goes in front of Kucherov, and Kuch gets it like I'm friends with him, Kuch. He just 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 a, a <laughs> subtle a subtle pump. Taves it freezes Taves and he puts it right in front of his skate to the backhand and plot. He never gets the recognition. The guy just does nothing but score. He gets nothing but game winners. Everybody's watching Kucherov. Watch Pilat on this play. He could have easily just okay taken the easy way out. He crosses in front. He busts his tail and gets behind Makar and has an easy tap in. There's a lot of good things that went along in this play. Beautiful play by Kucherov, beautiful cross. Colorado, their defense, for as good as Makar and Taves are, they played this wrong. They should have been more aggressive. The gap was terrible, the gap control. They had so much space in the neutral zone. And I think Makar just gets puck watching here. He, he, he bites on Kucherov's shot as well, and then he thinks he's in the zone or in the lane to block that pass, and he's not. And it's a beautiful play by Kucherov. Great play by Palat to drive the far post to get in that lane, to create that lane. And all of a sudden, it's a 3-2 game and a world-class move by Kucherov. There's not a lot of guys who can make that play. Not a lot of guys who have that much patience and that much just control because most guys get that puck in the slot. He's at the, he's at the hash marks. He could have easily shot that puck, and that's a, that's a grade-A scoring chance. He has the wherewithal to say, you know what? I'm going to hold on to it a little more, and I'm going to make a better shot. And he just gets it, and he pumps it, and he goes to his backhand, and boom, plots their back door for a tap-in. Most guys are letting that shot go. I would say 95 out of 100 guys, maybe 98 out of 100 guys are letting that puck go. Taze is going to get his stick there. It gets blocked. It's a grade A chance and Kempfer saves it. Or you, some guys score. But what a play by Kucherov. And all of a sudden, it's a 3-2 game. Tampa Bay's looking good. This is midway through the, the second period. Colorado is like, whoa. And they, Colorado had been playing well up to that point. They, they controlled a little bit less of the second period, but they were still the better team early on in the second. And all of a sudden, Kucherov gets a 3-2. A couple seconds later, Tampa Bay's in the zone again. Another Sergachev seeing-eye shot from the point. This guy's been doing it all playoffs long where he just gets the puck, 
changes the lane just a little bit, fires a good hard shot, good well-placed shot off the post, ding, 3-3. What are we doing here? Darren Helm in the, in the lane, get out of the lane or block the shot. Pooper, get off the pot. That's what we say. You cannot be in that lane 10 feet out from the net and not block, block that shot. Kemper can't see it, even though Darren Helm's five foot one. Kemper can't see it off the post and in. We got a 3-3 game. Second period's over. So just imagine the differences between the locker rooms. If you're Colorado, after the first, you're like, oh, my goodness. This is, this is great. This is great. We're up three to one. We're flying. We're buzzing. We have total control. Time of possession is for us. We, have, we got power plays. Nothing can go wrong. You come in after the second, you're like, what just happened? What what's what what just happened? They scored two goals in like 40 seconds, and now it's 3-3. And then you start panicking. The heart starts going a little bit. You're like, what do we do here? This was a huge gut check time for Colorado. And this third period and the start of overtime, this is why Colorado will win the Stanley Cup. If they would have had a different result in this third period, if they would have somehow given Tampa Bay the lead and Tampa Bay wins this game, this is a completely different series. And that's why this period and this game – is such a huge moment for the no, I don't want to overstate it and say for the franchise and this and that. If Tampa Bay wins this game and wins this third period, and you're Colorado and you're like, gosh, we played so good. We outplayed them in the first, we outplayed them in the second, they still found a way to win. How do we beat this team? Because Tampa Bay will be better in game two. How do we beat this team? But that's not what happened. Colorado played well in the third period. Tampa Bay does what Tampa Bay does. They buckle down. They check. They don't give up many chances. There were there was a few good chances here and there. Kemper made a good save on, um, ah, who was it? It was cross ice. It was a bullet shot, but he, he came across, made a nice save on the power play. Might have been Sergachev. But, um, and then we go to overtime. Don't you think that this was, this was a defining moment for Colorado in this playoffs where you're being matched up against Tampa Bay? You could fold. And just say, you know what, Tampa Bay, they came back. They're the better team. Here we go. Feel sorry for yourself. I think they overcame that. They played well in the third, and they stuck one in overtime. I loved this. It's it's going to go so far for them in this series because they will lose. They will lose the next game or the game after the game after. Like This series is going six or seven. But just to get this confidence in game one, I think does it's just it's going to do them so, so good. I agree. Yeah, the way that they were able to, to, to tighten down in that second half of the second period and the third period, not allowed any goals. There's no goals by either team during that stretch. Um, shows a lot about, about, about what Colorado's capable of. And by contrast, the Celtics lost the finals last night, right? Really hurtful. But I remember I was thinking about this moment, too, because um, Celtics started off hot. They were up like 15-2 to two to start off the first quarter, something like that. They forced a timeout. Everything's coming up Boston. Tip, uh, Golden State battles back, battles back, battles back. You think you're still playing them better, then you end the first quarter and Celtics are down by five out of nowhere. It's like it, you blink your eye, it just happened. And then Steph Curry and all those guys laughing, dancing, smiling. Celtics look, you know, upset. And I was like, man, they're going to lose this game just because of like you can read the body language, you can read the the pedigree of, of what those guys, the makeup of those guys. And uh, Colorado, yeah, the, the opposite happened. You know, you, you get the air sucked out of your lung by those two quick goals by, by Tampa Bay. And a lot of teams, again, this is where Tampa Bay usually takes over the game. This is like they, they get better as the game goes on. They get better in overtime. They, they're, this is how they've always done it. And uh, Colorado battled back. And let's talk about that overtime goal. 
Yeah, just a little turnover, right? A little turnover in the neutral zone. Colorado takes advantage. They get back into the zone. And still a weird play once they enter the zone. Potentially a block shot. Nashuskin picks it up and just goes cross-lice to Burkowski. And he buries it. Hedman may be a little bit out of position, kind of reaching, trying to use his length, not in the same, not in the lane of the puck, not in the lane of the pass. Kind of caught no man's in a little bit. And Vasilevsky, I can't fault him on this. You know, he's he's playing the shot, he's playing the shoeskin, and it's just a cross-ice pass, and it's ding-ding, and it's in the back of the net minute and a half into overtime. And Colorado gets to win. Good, you know, good on Burkowski's. These are the guys who are just kind of castaways from other teams where you think their careers maybe on the downward swing, and then they go to Colorado and they get reinvigorated again, and all of a sudden they're playing like it's 10 years ago, and they're flying around, they're making plays, and Burkowski, a healthy scratch, you know, last last series. The guy who battled got back in the lineup because of some injuries and he was hurt himself. And now he's back to being hundred percent. He played well, you know, and then they win the game. So good for Colorado. Let's go through some uh, maybe takeaways from this game, Tim. Yeah. One of the big ones, we talked about matchups and Avalanche definitely got the better of that. The top line of McKinnon, Nachuskin and Landis Scott combined for five points, uh, two goals. So that was, that was interesting. And I also saw a good tweet that a good stat tweeted out earlier, the Colorado combined, for 34 to 19 shot attempt advantage in five on five against Tampa's, you know, two <clears throat> shutdown lines with Kalorn, Sorelli, Hagel, and Paul Point and Colton. So they definitely got the better of that matchup. And like Bedno said, I'm not going to change anything unless I have a reason to. And right now, after game one, they have no reason to. Love that. I love that mentality from Bedner. Why bend and change your game plan? You're the Colorado Avalanche. You're the best team in the West. You've been a juggernaut this postseason. Let's go. You want to match them up? Let's go. We'll see. I'll take McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen. I know that's not their first line. I'll take those guys over anybody you want to put out against me. Like they've gone against checking lines the whole playoffs. And Nashushkin looks like a different player. I remember playing against him when he first came into the league. There was all this hype about him. Big body rushing coming in. He's going to be insane. He's going to be the next Kovalchuk. Watch out, watch out. Then he didn't pan out. All of a sudden, he has found his his game. He looks great. He doesn't look like he, the moment's too big for him. He's confident. He's skating the puck. He's he's a good player. And when you put a player like that alongside Landeskog and McKinnon, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous combination. That allows you to just free up Granton a little bit. All of a sudden, he secures that second line with Kadri being out. Man, if Kadri comes back, oh boy, this series could be... I'm not going to say that it's going to be a sweep, but if Kadri, Kadri's here and he's healthy, it's even... It's even more dangerous. All right, let's talk about the goaltenders. Coming into this series, everybody thought Tampa Bay had a clear advantage. Vasilevsky, you know, mixed reviews. Some people thought he played like garbage. He should have had every single goal. Other people, including myself, thought he played okay. You know, he he kept them in. He had some good saves. The first one, maybe he would like to have back, but the other ones, I don't, I don't, I don't fault him on any of those. Kemper played okay, made a couple good saves. I don't think he was tested like Vasilevsky was. Where do you think the grades are for the first game? Which goalie got the better of which? Uh, I think I think Kemper definitely played better. You know, we can go argue about whether Vasilevsky should have had this one or that one. I don't really blame Kemper for any of the goals that he allowed. Um, maybe you like to get one more, but I think he played. I think he played better. So I would get Kemper maybe a B plus and a Vasilevsky B minus or B. Yeah, this, the the scary thing is, I think Kemper that's that's close to his ceiling. Yeah, like that. That's as good as he's going to be. You know, I, I don't expect him to be play much better than that. Vasilevsky, he could play vastly better. Mm-hmm. 
with with all being said, those goals weren't his fault. He's made those saves before. He he is he has gotten to those pucks at least three out of the four. If he's on his game, he's saving those shots. Maybe that's why people get upset because you set the standard, you set this bar so high. You're Andre Vasilevsky. You're supposed to make that save, and then you don't. And people realize like, oh, maybe you know, maybe he is human. He 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 does make a mistake every now and again. But hey, that that's that's his pedigree. He has to live up to that. So. I, I think he'll be better. But yeah, Kemper's not going to get much better than that. Who else? Kale McCart came in sky high expectations, leading all defensemen in points. No shots on goal in the regular regular frame. I think he got one in overtime. Couple blocked, couple missed the net. Still, still a huge impact on the game. Played twenty eight plus minutes. I thought he was a huge factor in this game, even though he didn't get on the score sheet. He created that second goal by pinching in. He was up in the rush quite a bit. Him and Devin Taves played well, other than that one goal against that they let up versus Kucherov from Palat, which I don't think any defenseman. Nah, maybe there's a couple pairings that would have been able to stop that, but that's a world-class goal. Lightning did a good job against him, all things considered. He was a factor, but not like he was in previous series. Do you think he's got you know room to grow there, Tim, or does the Lightning do a good job kind of containing a Kale car? Well, let's not forget, he had five points in the clinching game against the Oilers. So, uh, you know, you don't expect five points from anybody every single game. But, yeah, that's what he's capable of. The Lightning did a good job containing him. And we had a good tweet from a listener uh, last week who talked about the St. Louis held McCarr to just three assists in that series against the Blues um, without Krug and without their starting goaltender. So he can be slowed down and, and removed. But even if you take him off the stat sheet, like you said, he's still logged. He played half the game, played 28 minutes. He's still like creating plays. He's still up and down the ice and doing a ton. So you can't, you can't eliminate him. He's too, too talented, but I think they did a pretty good job containing him and getting him off the stat sheet. Yeah. I think he gets points. I think even after, you know, this game, I I think he's going to, gonna you know break out he will have a three-point game he will have a four-point game he, he's too good to be contained for that long but I, he, he's still a factor that's what separates the really good defenseman from just a really good offensive defenseman he was still a huge factor in the game even though he didn't get any points he was all over the ice he made guys better he even like for as bad defensively as people think he is he did a good job defensively most of the game so i liked kale mccarr this game all right big question game two is on saturday the thing with playing in Colorado, the first game's easy. You're right. You're amped up. You're this or that. The second game, that's when the altitude gets to you. There's, they're there. They're sucking in that thin air. Game two comes around, and you're, you, you don't have the jump like you usually have. Can Tampa Bay overcome that and tie it up 1-1? And if they can't, if they go down 2 nothing like they were last series to the Rangers, is this thing over? Because – Colorado is different from the Rangers. How how much of a must-win game is this for Tampa Bay coming into Saturday, Tim? I honestly, I don't think it's a must-win at all. I don't think there's any any scenario where you know Tampa Bay is nervous about going down to nothing. Obviously, they don't they don't want to. But if there's any team that it matters very little, it's it's Tampa Bay. And I would almost say I won't I won't go that far. I was going to say three nothing, but two nothing. Yeah, I. That's we'll spot him three. We'll give him a three nothing lead. We're fine. <laughs> no. Seriously, like, didn't they go down? Did they go down to nothing against the Leafs, or did they win that second game? That was one one. Yes, one one. That was one one. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not nervous about that. I wouldn't call this a must win against again, again, any other team. Maybe it is, but not for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a must win, like we say, Tim. What did you say when you popped out of the womb? Serious. Yeah, I start- said, mom. Listen up. Yeah. Series of dark to a team loses at home. And she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this guy's a savant. We got to get him on dropping the gloves as soon as we can. And you're right. I, I don't think this series is over until Tampa Bay loses at home, but boy, oh boy. 
they would be it'd be tough sledding. Colorado is a different animal. They are, and I don't think they've lost on the road yet. Colorado, they're just a good team overall. You know, you're up for a fight. They, if it isn't a must win game, it's the closest thing to it. They need to play better. Even John Cooper said, we weren't ready. The best team won tonight. We didn't come with the mojo that we usually do, but he's like, again, like you just said, he echoed the same sentiment. We said, I'm not worried. We've been here before. I know my guys will respond. He's got confidence in his players. And they're going to regroup. They're going to come back better. They're going to come back stronger. Can Colorado match that? Can Colorado get better? You know, maybe they were a little nervous and they still played that well. So we'll see coming into game two on Saturday. And I know what I'm going to do when I go to Colorado. I like to get myself some food. They got a nice cherry burger by the hotel I go to. And if I was playing now, I'd order DoorDash Tim and get myself a cherry burger. They had a couple days off. Ease the mind a little bit. Get a little brewski. Get a little beer. Just take your mind off of hockey a little bit. You got a couple days off. And they can use our promo code DoorDash. If you're in the USA, the promo code is GlovesDDUS. You get 25% off free delivery. If you're in Canada, just promo code is GlovesDD. You get all the perks along with it. You get food. You get a discount. You get to have a nice dinner, breakfast, or lunch, wherever you are on us, basically. The first order is free, theoretically, because it's just so much off, you guys. Check it out. Gloves DD if you're in Canada. Gloves DD US if you're in the US of A. Get yourself some food. Save yourself some money. It's a winner, 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 winner chicken dinner, which you can get on DoorDash. All right. Lots of hockey news happening, Tim, the last couple of days. Let's do some quick hits. Yeah, there was a trade yesterday. Evgeny Dadanov was traded to the Montreal Canadiens by the by the Vegas Golden Knights for Shea Weber. Um, big, huge move. Shea Weber is one of the best defensemen in the league, right? No. Well, He's- I know you're trying to make a joke, Tim, but it is actually a big move for the Vegas Golden Knights. It, it is. It's a big salary cap dump. They tried to do with Anaheim this offseason. They get rid of that five. Was he making five or five point five? I can't remember. They five get rid of that even, money. Yeah. Gives them a little bit of room to breathe. They bring in Shea Weber. He's going to go on LTIR, his 7.8, whatever it is, million salary cap. He's not going to step on the ice again in his life in the NHL. So it's a big salary cap dump for them. Montreal, strange move. Unless they really like Dadanoff, you know Vegas is in a really bad position and they need to make this move. I'm surprised they didn't get a draft pick. I'm surprised they didn't get something else to go along with Dadanoff just because you have the upper edge here you you know you're trading with a team who's just begging to make a trade for this guy so it's it's a very strange trade i think it's a big win for vegas i don't think it's a big win for montreal dadanov's a good player is he a five and a half million dollar player we'll find out but i don't know it doesn't make sense to me why montreal makes this move i i don't, I don't get it i know i know Maybe they just didn't like Shea Weber and they just wanted to get him out, like get out of here. They didn't like him this past season, how he kind of was around the guys, wasn't around the guys. If you're a captain, you should be more present in the locker room and just around. We know you're not going to play, but just come around a little bit. Then he would show up like in Alberta or BC for like a charity event. It was just, it was a weird thing going on in Montreal where they resented him almost for being injured and not showing up and just hanging out. It's like, what do you want me to do? Like tie your skates? Like I, I'm hurt, you guys. I'm never going to play again. So I don't know. It, it was it was a just Montreal does that. They have those. There's always bad animosity. PK Subban went through it. Pacioretty went through it. Shea Weber went through it. Carey Price went through it a little bit. There always seems to be fighting with their stars. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I they fought with me. 
throw me in the mix with those guys. Why not? You know what I mean? I'm just right up there with those guys. But yes, good trade for Vegas. I think that helps them out a little bit, gives them a little bit more relief. But uh, all right, what else are we talking about? Well, the big question with Montreal is that Shea Weber is still their captain. So who do you give the captaincy now that there's a vacancy? Is it Nick Suzuki, kind of the young gun leading that team? Is it Gallagher, Gallagher finally getting his chance? Jeff Petrie has been wearing the A. He's a leader on that team. Who, who gets to see? Oh, boy. I don't know. There's no really clear-cut choice. Do you just kind of cut bait and go completely young guys? I don't think Nick Suzuki is earmarked for captaincy. I don't think Cole Caulfield is earmarked for captaincy. I don't think they have that type of personality. I don't know. I know people have been trying to pry Josh Anderson out of that team. I think he would ha- he would look pretty good having the C on his shoulder, but I don't know. I think the, the choice right now, if you're going to hang on to him, has to be Brendan Gallagher. It has to be. He's the longest tenured guy there. He's the heartbeat of the team. He just, you have to give it to him. And yeah, you give Petrie the A, you give Edmondson the A, and, and then along you go. I, I don't think there's a forward in that group, especially that first line, because you want your captain to be, you know, he's on the ice all the time. He's going to get your points. You know, he he's the McKinnons. He's the Stamkos. He's this and that. Montreal doesn't have that. Not yet. I don't know. Maybe Cole Caulfield can grow into that role. Nick Suzuki can grow into that role. Mike Hoffman. Is it a height thing? I'm just the heightest. Cause all those guys are like five, six and like <laughs> short guys. They it shouldn't be captain. I think you have to be over six foot to be captain. That's a rule in my, in my mind. Who's the None shortest captain in the league. Can you think of any <laughs> short guys? No, no, I can't. I was thinking Martin St. Louis. Martin. Yeah. Was he, was a he captain, captain ever? I don't know. I don't think he was. Yeah, uh, listeners, and then, do us a yeah. favor. Let us know the shortest captain in the league and the shortest captain of all time. I, w- I would be interested to know who, who that is. But anyways, moving on. Good for Montreal, new captain. A couple uh, benches being filled by coaches. A couple vacancies get filled. Your guy, Bruce Cassidy, former Boston Bruins coach, gets fired from there unceremoniously. Kind of surprisingly, actually, gets picked up quick. Like he, he was just, he moved on quick to the Vegas Golden Knights, signs a long-term deal there. What do you think? Is that a good fit there? Is he going to be able to resurrect Jack Eichel, trying to un- untangle that web that Jack Eichel seems to always find himself in? Well, that team is definitely a project. But, yeah, I think I think it's a great fit. And like you said, Cassidy didn't last long in the, on the market. He basically had his pick. I'm sure the, every team that had a vacancy was, was calling him, and he kind of had his pick. And I, I wonder what it was that he saw in Vegas. Maybe it was the best team available um, among, among the vacancies. But, yeah, I think he'll do well there. I think the thing to watch, like you said, is going to be his relationship with Eichel. I do know that they, they, they know each other, you know, Eichel being from Boston. He's been around those guys before. I wonder what their relationship was. And, you know, Eichel has a way of, of driving coaches away and getting people to hate him, even though he seemed like a likable enough kid. So I don't know what, what, what that situation is behind closed doors. So hopefully it works out for both of them and they're able to come back to the playoffs. Is there a player that's done more to wreck his reputation than Jack Eichel? Maybe Evander Kane? In such a short <laughs> uh, period of time, he went from like yeah. the bell of the ball in Buffalo. Everybody loved him. He signed this long-term deal. And he's just cratered his reputation ever since. Everybody hates him now. Like, everybody hates him. So we'll see how that works. But I think Vegas does have a bounce-back season for all their salary cap issues, for all the issues with Dadanov and this and that and the Eichel trade and what's going on. If they get healthy, they're going to be good, especially in that trash heap of a Pacific division. So I think Cassidy, he does do well in Vegas. I I think they have a bounce-back season. All right, another vacancy being filled by the – 
by the second uh, candidate. So interesting story out of Philadelphia. They offer the deal to, to Torts, Barry, or excuse me, Trotz, Barry Trotz. They gave him a $7 million multi-year deal, would have made him the highest paid coach of all time. And like I said, I said, do not touch that Philadelphia Flyers job. It is just a disaster waiting to happen. There's no prospects in that team. There's no one coming up in the pipeline. They got no good young players to build around. The crease is a mess. The defense are a mess. The forwards are a mess. Barry Trotz listens to this podcast. And he said, you know what, <laughs> you're kind of onto something. Even after Philadelphia threw the, everything at him, the Brinks truck, they backed it right up to his house. He said, ah. John said, this is a bad deal. And he said, no, so good on Barry Trotz. He said, I'm not going to put myself in that situation because it's a lose-lose. You, you tarnish your reputation. You lose hockey games. I guess the winning part is you pad your bank, your bank account, but he's got a ton of money. So he turned it down. And then they turn to John Tortorella, who never turns down a coaching job anywhere. If he gets offered a job, he's going to take it. So he took this job, signs a four-year deal. I think he's getting four schmill a year, a little bit less than Barry Trotz around that number. Right away, Brandon Dubinsky, I know Doobie, just throws out a pretty vicious tweet about John Tortorella. And mind you, they've been together for a long time. They were with the Rangers together for, I think, six years. Then they both went to Columbus, and they were in Columbus together for another four or five. So they they know each other quite well, these two. And he sends out this tweet saying, pray for the players in Philadelphia. And it's like, ah, Doobie, what are we doing here? Doobie hates John Tortorella. He doesn't like the way he coaches. He ruins the game for him. And I don't blame him. Torts is a hard guy to play for. I can't imagine playing for him for more than two years. And he did it for a decade. And it just ruins the game. And Dubinsky talked about that because someone asked him, why would you send that tweet out? What's the issue here? And he's like, I don't like to air my laundry, but it quickly became a chore to come to the rink. It was not fun. And John Tortorella does that where you're constantly getting berated. He's constantly just like getting after you to do this, do this, do this, do this, work, 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 block the shot, block the shot, do, 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 do. And it takes the fun, the creativity out of the game. And you just become a robot. And it's a chore to come to the rink. You wake up and you go, I got to go to the rink again and get yelled at. We're going to watch video for an hour and a half and I'm going to be just yelled at because I, I missed one play of the game. And that's what Torts does. He demands perfection. He demands you do it his way. And if you don't do it your way, his way, excuse me, he's going to show everybody on video what you're doing wrong, make fun of you, berate you, and beat you into submission until you're doing it his way. And if you don't do it his way, even after all that, you're gone. We'll ship you out. And he's done on every single team he's been on. And because he won the Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay, everybody thinks he's this great coach. And he is a good coach, but he's not a great coach. And everybody thinks he's this great coach because he won the Cup in Tampa Bay. They should have won multiple cups with the Rangers. That, That team was loaded. And they hated them. They hated them in New York. If they had it, I don't know. That's a whole other topic. I don't want to get clickbaits and people coming after me. But John Tortorella is in Philadelphia. Did this end up with them having a winning record in the next few seasons, Tim, do you think? That's a, just a winning just, record. That's all. I was going to ask, like, if you're the management group, what's your what standard are you setting to tour or message are you sending saying, hey, this is what we want to see out of you. This is your measuring stick for success this year. Is it just winning 42 games like can you win more than you lose is that is that the only 
thing that we hope for is it developing certain players. A lot of people are talking about him as a, as a bridge coach where it's like, okay, the franchise needs a new direction. They have a couple of expiring contracts. They have some young kids coming up who aren't quite like at their elite breakout level yet. The Farabees and Morgan Frost of the world, you develop those players. And then once the, once you've, unloaded your bad contracts you developed your young players and then they bring in like the quote-unquote the real coach who's going to take them somewhere and torts is kind of a guy who'll get you to that point i don't know if that's their intention or not but i don't know how you what the expectation is that you said for this year especially you can't get any worse you finished 29th out of 32 teams last year like what are you going to be worse than seattle arizona montreal this year potentially higher payroll than all of them right Maybe a higher Montreal. payroll than all of them. Montreal is pretty high too, but it, I don't know. And, and we mentioned it last show talking about who's going to get this job. Their division is really good. Yeah. The Eastern conference is very strong. Are they going to be better than Carolina Rangers, Pittsburgh, Washington, New York Islanders? No, to all five of those teams. They will be in the conversation with New Jersey and Columbus, but Columbus didn't look half bad last year. They were a 500 team. So it's New Jersey and Philadelphia. And if I'm looking at New Jersey's roster versus Philadelphia's roster, I like New Jersey's roster a lot better than Philadelphia's. So like, can you overhaul that roster that fast if you're Philadelphia? I don't know. It's not like you're looking at your, your roster and your, your cap space. You don't have a ton of cap space. How do you overhaul this roster? You got $5 million to spend. You got a bunch of RFAs. You still got to fill over your roster with players, but I don't know. I don't think they, I think they're bottom five this year in the whole league. Again, there's no, nothing, even with the John Tortorella that gosh, Keith Yandel can't, can't wait. He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Keith Yandel. <laughs> I'm a UFA there. You, Keith, you want to come back on a, a league minimum? No, 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 no. I'm out of here. I'm not playing for John Tortorella. No. Even if you pay me three, $4 million a year, I'm gone. Like that guy. He, he, <laughs> no, thanks. But yeah, good for John Tortorella. He, he found himself a new coaching job. Philadelphia will be the bottom of the barrel team again this season. No fault to John Tortorella. What he will do, though, which is great, he will make it um, – they'll have a competitive team. They'll skate. They'll hit. They'll check. They'll get in the shot lanes. They'll try to outwork teams. And that's good when you have a team that's like mostly built of young guys, AHL guys. There's not a lot of high-end talent. So we'll see how, we'll see how it works out. All right, last one, Tim. Evander Kane back in the news. Shocker. As the Evander turns – yeah, this is a little little treat for you to bring this onto the agenda here. So this is uh, taking you back. Obviously, the Sharks voided his contract last year, and he's free to sign with anyone. He signed with the Oilers and did pretty well there. So now this is coming back to the surface a little bit. The NHL says his next contract could be voided by the arbitrator if the arbitrator rules that the Sharks terminated him without cause. In that case... Kane and his contract will be reinstated with the Sharks, negating any deal he signed with another team before that ruling. And he's right that, now that's a three, three more years of $7 million per, which means he would be back in San Jose, which again, I don't think he ever plays for San Jose again. They don't want him. And he doesn't want to be there. They've been very outspoken about wanting him off the team, which means they have to force a trade of some kind. And I don't know how much you get for him since, you know, teams will be desperate. The, the teams will know that they're desperate to get him off the books, but the whole thing is just a mess. And I think it, I think it was brought on by by Evander himself at the beginning, who said they fired him without cause, and now it's going to come back and bite him and say he has to go back to the Sharks. Yeah, I don't really care what happens. I hope he has to go back to the Sharks. That would be just funny. It would be a funny situation. 
And then he just plays the Barracuda for the rest of his life. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I honestly don't care what happens. I, I, I don't. And I was actually thinking last uh, couple nights ago when we were watching the Tampa Bay game, I'm like that Kucherov goal, Plot picks up the, the easy goal. I'm like, gosh, that could be that. That is Evander Kane. Plot and Evander Kane are very similar types of player where they just are, they're fundamentally strong. Maybe Kane obviously has a little bit more physical edge, but then I just started looking at their stats. Very similar, very comparable players. You know, Pilot's 31, Kane's 30. They're both entering the UFA season. Pilot made 5.3 this last year. Kane made seven. But if you're a GM, who do you want on your team? It just goes to show you how your reputation, how you act outside the ice, how you interact with your teammates means so much. Because do you think a GM is going to throw a ton of money in a Vander Kane, just who he is? And they're the same player. Like they get the same amount of points. They get, they have the same impact. Go back and look at their stats. They're very, very similar. Very similar. I think Pilot gets three, $4 million more than Kane does. Even though if I'm a GM and I'm looking at it just strictly no outside noise, Kane's probably a better player. He gives you more on the uh, physical side. He, he's faster than Plot. I think he gets up the ice a little better. He has a, maybe a slight tad more offensive upside. He fights. So he gives you a little bit more as a whole player. But I think Plot gets two, three, four million dollars more than Kane does at this point. Just because Kane, there's so much. If Kane wins his arbitration case and becomes a free agent, I think he signs for four million bucks. Plot's going to get seven, seven point five. So it's just, uh, it's. I just thought that was funny. And I'm just watching like, okay, Plot's going to get this easy goal from Kucherov. And I just hearken back to Edmonton when Kane got all these easy goals with McDavid. It's like, who would I want, Plot or Kane? Like, I would say Plot. Low maintenance, does does the exact same thing Kane does. Maybe Kane finishes better too, but I'm taking a Plot all day, every day. It just goes to show you, you know, you have a good attitude, good things happen. And I'm good. I'm happy for Plot. He's going to hit the jackpot here. He already makes 5.3, but he's going to get seven, seven and a half worth every penny. Don't you think, Tim? I just thought of that. I was thinking about that. I do. And I think he also scores in big moments too, that, you know, you know, as the series goes on and he's had some huge goals for Tampa Bay in the last couple of cup runs. So it's not just the numbers he puts up in the regular season or over the course of the playoffs. It's when he's scoring these goals and he's, he's done it, you know, all series long. So um, yeah. So brings us to, you know, our, our points back pick. We have another game tomorrow night, game two, John, who do you who do you like? Do you like the Lightning to come back and tie this thing up, or are the Avs going up two nothing? I like the Lightning, even with the Colorado effect. I think they're going to have an extra couple days there to get acclimated to the to the uh, atmosphere there, the the mile high stuff. I think they'll come back. They'll they'll right the ship. They're, they're the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think they win this game. This this is going seven, and I already predicted it. Colorado's going to win Game Seven. That's what I said at the outset of the series. I still firmly believe that it's going to be an epic series. I'm taking Tampa Bay in this one. I'm going to go with the Avalanche. Um, they are favored too in points, but slightly minus 160. I just think the Avalanche will come back and do this again. Um, and I, you know, I like I said, even if they do, I don't think the Lightning are panicking yet. But I do think the Avalanche will go up to nothing after Saturday. We never agree on anything anymore. Where we always you, fight. Come back to me. all right everybody well have a good weekend thanks for listening we appreciate the support go out there watch this game on saturday it's gonna be a good one other than that have some fun i had a funny story last night i just want to say i'm not a big drinker i I had a little dinner i'm in a part of like a business catholic group we went out last night we had dinner we get a speaker it's a good night it was the last one of the season and my buddy 
the the waitress has come around for drinks and he missed the the boat. He didn't get a drink. So we're going to sit down for dinner. I'm like, Ryan, where's your drink? He's like, I, I didn't get one. I'm like, what do you want? He's like, I'll take a whiskey. I'm like, you know what? I'll get one too. I'm not a big whiskey drinker, but I didn't want him to drink alone. I drink beer predominantly. So I go to the, the bar. I'm like, I get a whiskey, you know, two please. And we got Jameson. She poured us bathtubs worth of worth of whiskey. It was insane. Like, I don't nice. know if this is normal. And so she gave us like those little highball glasses that are half of a, a beer stein right to the top of whiskey right to like, it must've been seven shots of whiskey. Like I was, a cup of whiskey. Yeah. No ice, a cup of whiskey. That's what it was. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, is this like how we usually do this? I thought it was like usually a half of a highball of whiskey. Then if you want to put ice in it, you can, if not, you don't. And she just kept pouring. And I'm looking, I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, thanks for the bathtubs of whiskey. And I literally, I literally said that. And she's like, Oh, sorry. And I, I drank it. I was feeling great, but it was like wild stuff. I've never ordered, never had that before. Was it, was it at that, the, um, the, uh, semin- not the seminary, but the cooking school one when you brought me there one time. No, it was the at the place. golf and country club. So okay. it was a nice, so it wasn't nice like some swanky... student who didn't know how to do it. Well, she was a new bartender. You could tell because she was it took her a good minute, minute, two minutes to find the Jameson. Then she finally found it. And she's like, just and she went for it like she she went for it. But yeah, I was like, I'm not going to drink this. I told my wife and like, this tastes pretty good. Bing, 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 like. 12 minutes later, it was gone. I was like, oh man, that was delicious. Nice. So I think Great. I might be an alcoholic now. I got a problem. But all right, everybody, thank you for listening. I just thought of that. Oh, another funny story. So I went on a golf, we had a golf tournament the day before. And my foursome, it was like, um, what was it? It was a golf tournament for this little church that I go to where I serve mass at the Carmelite Monastery. Anyway, so I was golfing with three Catholic guys, four Catholic guys. And every hole they had like buy raffle tickets, this and that close to the whole longest drive. And my, my trivia question to them was I'll buy a raffle ticket. If you can guess how many kids the four of us have, if you come within two kids, there's four guys I'm like, guess how many kids we have the four of us. They don't and know you. They well, some of us, some of them knew me. Some of them knew a couple guys on our team on my little force in there, but you know, they were guessing 12, 13, 18, this and that 27 kids. Between the four of us, it was just like, I was like, I was like, dang, that's a lot of kids. So someone have more than you. One of them had eight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lots of kids happening around here. So anyways, thought that was a funny story. I don't know why I just shared it, but yeah, my wife, we're getting ready, everybody. So if I don't hear from you, if you don't hear from me, it's because I'm in the hospital having a baby number seven. So getting close well we'll talk about that after the playoffs hopefully but yeah it's getting uh, very close very very close we're gonna name her world. tim tim Molina. That's her <laughs> we name. just need more scots in the world don't we so many scots are needed this world is a just a disaster that's why i'm trying to just fix the problem with all my kids all right everybody go out there have some fun fix the world yourself go out and have a make a difference cheers everybody Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.